to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. Welcome again. Uh, hi, Paul. How's your week been? My week has been pretty well. How was yours? Good. I um, Actually, this week's been a nice week in terms of satisfying of justification of doing this show. Um, it doesn't actually take too much of our time up. Well, it doesn't take too much of my time up. You edited the show last week. I'm sure it probably took you a little bit longer than usual to get through that. Uh, it, was, it didn't seem that bad, but yeah, it did take... I spent most of my Saturday messing around with, with computer stuff. So, but I, I, de- I gave you a turd intro audio too. I tried, I used a different microphone at the office and after I finished recording, I realized that I hadn't quite configured it properly. And so I kind of set you up to fail. So apologies Paul. <laughs> hey, nowhere to go, but up. <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, no, the reason I was satisfied is uh, I had like three different people come up and uh, at work kind of asked me, you know, what's wrong? You haven't posted any shows for a few weeks. And I was like, yeah, we, we have vacations too, you know? Um, and they're like, yeah, no, was, yeah, we missed having those things. So I think a lot of people have routines with podcast shows where, you know, it's their Tuesday show to listen to or their Wednesday show to listen to. So thank you everyone for listening. Uh, and also my skip manager who, um, is now kind of my manager because Yina's away. And, um, so I kind of have to have a manager and therefore it's, it's Steve. And Steve was laughing. He goes, yeah, I've only ever called skip on your show. Like I do have a name like Yina does. And I was like, okay, so, uh, my skip manager is Steve Chang. And hi Steve. Yeah. Hi Steve. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, well, I can announce you, but I'm also now going to drop you in it and say that you need to come on the podcast. So, um, we'll have to start thinking about what he can come on to talk about. Um, but yeah, people have asked actually like, what team are you in? And like, what, what, how do you report up through? And, and so my org is actually the Microsoft 365 core team. So it's all about the services that run on Microsoft 365. And so Steve Chang is my skip, um, who reports up through Jason Henderson, who has been around in the kind of office 365 space for a long time and drove uh, the Outlook add-in space and the Outlook APIs for uh, a long, long time. And uh, Perry Clark is our corporate vice president who reports up through Rajesh, who you probably all are aware of, that reports up to Sacha. So um, yeah, the org is very focused on the um, the services side of the business. And Perry has it within his remit, Cortana, um, and he has um, the bot framework now that got moved. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff that we own that are like services related to M365 all up. And so you'll see as time moves on a little bit more alignment because we're in the same organization kind of alignment in tech, uh, alignment and integrations between the two that maybe wouldn't have happened as much if they were in separate organizations under different CVPs. So I'm excited to kind of share some of that stuff in the future as well, but we'll get Steve on and he can talk about what he kind of owns outside of just the graph, which is like adaptive cards and Microsoft search stuff. And there's a bunch of other cool things that, um, his other, my peers right now are working on that um, Steve can chat about, but he's done some cool stuff in the past too. So um, we'll, we'll hold that for the actual show. 
I had a, that, that, that sparks a good idea. So once we finish with him, then we get his manager and we just climb the, the chain and then you'll uh, bring Satya into your home absolutely. office and play with Scarlett and answer some questions about coding. It's funny, like, um, obviously I see, well, being in Yina's role right now, um, I'm in meetings a lot with, all the way up to CVPs, which is you know, it's very cool to see people operating at that level and the decisions they're making. And so I'm going to desperately miss that when Yuna comes back because, um, you know, that's really where the big, big decisions get made. And, uh, it's tough for these guys because, you know, they have to operate at that level and, um, be informed. Uh, and there's no way they can get to the depths of knowing everything that's going on in each of those different areas. But, um, yeah, I don't see Rajesh or see Satcha. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not in our hallways. They do town halls every month and, um, uh, you know, I'm too busy to get to those. I watch the yeah. recordings. Yeah. I always yeah. wonder what those people do. They're the same people who pay ping pong is I'm convinced that have oh, time to wander yeah. over and chill out for an hour and watch the town halls every month. And yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, we digress. Yeah. Even that the truth. So, um, with the, I, I had a kind of a, a light week. I didn't really see much in the community. One, uh, one little community news item that, that you found actually, which is a, a long overdue solution to showing the team calendar inside the Microsoft Teams application, mm-hmm. which is a, a terrific find. I can't wait to get this loaded up. But this is, um, um, Gia, I, I forgot to look at the name. Who wrote this? Glenn, all right, Glenn yeah. Scales uh, has a, 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 a tab that you can add or an app which has a, a tab and that tab shows the Microsoft Teams group calendar in different colors, a lot like the overlays that you can see in SharePoint calendars back in the day. Uh, it's really pretty slick and it shows um, um, a, a daily view and a monthly view and all, uh, the stuff that you, an agenda, all the stuff you'd expect to see. So we'll certainly post a link to this GitHub repo that Glenn posted called the Teams group calendar. And then um, uh, you can answer all those burning questions that your users have about how come I see the calendar? <laughs> yeah, I, I tried some stuff where I'd worked out how to deep link into OA to get to those calendars. But um, it's not that easy to do that. And also when you open the tab for the first time, if it's been a while, you have to auth again. Whereas Glenn's approach, like it, it remembers it. So it's definitely a good thing. It, it does into, introduce good habits where if you are using your pr- team as a project and your events are on the team's group calendar and not like me personally sending a email invite to everyone that I know is on the team. Um, and actually that's one pro tip that I've noticed in kind of really bringing on teams. Um, we, I have a bunch of what I call V teams that are cross divisional because graph by nature is, you know, I talk with the Microsoft teams team. I talk to the SharePoint team. I talk to the outlook team. I talk to the planner team and we have regular meeting syncs to kind of for us to show what we're doing for the graph. That's all across that. And originally I'd sent those invites. Well, originally a Yina had sent those invites um, herself, which made it impossible for anyone else to add or modify those meetings. Whereas if you actually go into teams in the meetings tab on the left-hand side, you can actually create a meeting from within teams. And the first uh, thing you have to decide is uh, which group, or sorry, 
which chan- which team and which channel that that meeting should be relevant to and be owned by. The real benefit there is, is that other owners of the team can modify that event, which is handy when someone like Ina um, disappears and I really want to bug her when she's on maternity leave. Um, yeah, for a meeting, right? Yeah. yeah. Hi, how's things? Um, but then the other aspect, which is really neat, is that we record all those meetings because not all PMs can get there at the same time. And uh, the recording gets saved and then immediately is the security model of that channel and that team. Um, whereas if I'd have created it, it basically does the security to whoever at that point in time was invited to that meeting and is stored in my stream library, my personal stream library. So there's just good habit is to kind of create those kind of meetings directly from inside teams and not in Outlook and click add team meeting to it. So there you go. There's a handy little tip that you've learned today about teams. That's great. And, and you know, I had an interesting thing that I couldn't replicate. You sound so this. jazz, Paul. That's great. <laughs> That's great. It's another meeting. Uh, but uh, um, interestingly, so my manager is uh, six time zones away and, and scheduled a meeting. And in Microsoft Teams, it showed as the correct time. But in my Outlook calendar, it showed six hours earlier. Uh, and awesome. so, yeah. yeah. Um, but um so the, the moral of the story is, of course, I think that if if a, a team, a group of humans is going to be doing a calendar, you probably all want to make sure you're looking at the same one as opposed mm-hmm. to across the services. And while I'm sure, like I said, I couldn't replicate it and, and you know, things like that will get squashed. It certainly is a heads up to say, let's all make sure we're using the right tools uh, uh, that will make things easier, much, much easier. So, yeah, the time zone, <clears throat> excuse me, the time zone one, we have a a developer center in uh, Nairobi that uh, we're working on some graph stuff for. So there's a bunch of stuff going on at Graph Explorer and the SDKs and um, API Doctor, which is like our tool for helping to make our docs more consistent in Graph, which I know you guys all appreciate. And um, I had to use timeanddate.com and you can put in two time zones and it will show you like where you have realistic overlap in work hours and where you have realistic overlap um, you know, outside of work hours where you should be awake, but not asleep, like, you know, not, not past 11 PM and not before 8 AM. And, uh, th- that time zone overlap is literally two hours with us in Seattle. So that's, that's a tough one. Um, but it's super handy to be able to see that for various different things. I know you can add time zones in Outlook desktop to see that in your calendar, but, um, yeah, I, we were using that the other day and it was super helpful. So hi to the team in Nairobi because I know they're starting to listen to the show as well. So is there anything happening on the Microsoft side uh, in the next week or so? Yeah, so the community call, which is on the 5th of February, it's the first Tuesday every month. The January one wasn't on Tuesday because it was the 1st of January if we'd have done that. Um, the attendance dropped off a little bit. I think everyone was still recovering from the new year. But um, we've already lined up the, um, Sebastian Levitt and um, Vardaman Despundi from the content and code group. Um, Sebastian's from Valo. Uh, Sebastian's going to be talking about bot framework and Cortana. And um, Vardaman's going to actually be talking about the different approaches for app only tokens. He wrote a really good blog post, which I think we called out on one of these shows before um, talking about like the different combinations of app only. And we know we have a problem with confusion around authentication and the different scenarios. And so, um, you know, I just wanted them 
get as much content as we can out there on video and have the community kind of share that so that it's not just a Microsofty, you must do it this way and just kind of get a little bit more raw experience out there, which is great. Yeah, and I can't wait to see uh, Seb talk about Cortana. I, I saw uh, a news article in the last week or so about uh, uh, an admission from Microsoft that Cortana probably is not going to unseat any of the leading uh, assistant, but it certainly has a role within within uh, the Microsoft uh, ecosystem, if you will. So uh, certainly something worth keeping uh, your eye on if you're doing any kind of bot or AI type stuff. So Yeah, it's I interesting. To there was... There was an announcement around separating the Cortana experience from the search box in Windows 10. I d I'm on pretty internal builds and I'm not seeing that yet. But um, yeah, I, I must admit, I still don't use it in Windows 10. Um, I use Siri all the time on my phone, especially when I'm driving. Um, and she understands me. And Alexa at home is my weapon of choice for turning the heat on and turning lights on and off and... Um, you know, getting the house ready to when we leave, but also it's nighttime, which is when my daughter goes to bed, everything kind of dims down in her nursery and the music comes on. So I, I wish Cortana did more because I would absolutely trust Cortana over Siri and Alexa. But um, yeah, we'll see where that all goes. Now yeah. they're in our org. Hopefully I'll find out early and everyone else, but we will see. <laughs> that, that sounds great. All right. So um, on the show this week, we had uh, Nikola Matulev. Sorry if I mispronounced that, Nikola. Uh, this is a, a colleague of yours, uh, as uh, he mentions, that, uh, working with the, the Graph folks as well. But he's talking about the Windows Community Toolkit. And this was actually a fun interview for me to do because I always want to try to ask questions that will enlighten the audience who may not understand or may not know what the subject matter is. And I had absolutely no idea what the subject matter was this week. So <laughs> so I didn't have to pretend to be stupid. I was just in my natural self and came across pretty stupid. So it was a, it was a great, great thing. So so you, you work with uh, Nicola a bit? Yeah, Nicola is awesome. He, um, the Windows Toolkit has some graph stuff, as he will talk about in the show. Um, but we, his team got kind of reorganized a little bit to not just focus on Windows developers, but to Microsoft 365 developers. So there's a bunch of work that we're going to be doing together, um, which he's just spinning up and we'll get him on the show to talk about, um, specifically around, uh, Microsoft 365 broad controls that plug into the graph. Um, so if you're doing any of that right now, and obviously Glenn had built this one using an existing kind of UI widget. Uh, there's definitely going to be some interest out there and we're looking for a community of people to engage there. So please reach out if you're looking to kind of help out in a community way and you're a UI person and want to help with some controls. We've had controls in the past with a OneDrive file picker and the people card and the people picker. But um, no, this is going to be like a much bigger effort that Nikella is going to drive. So I'm really excited. Cool guy as you're here on the show and um, yeah, it'll be great for the Microsoft Graph community as well to get this up and running. Yeah, and I would say even though the title of the thing at the moment is the Windows Community Toolkit, the as you mentioned, the the plan is to expand further, and so it certainly is worth a listen. And there's a great community already uh, behind this, and so it, it certainly is uh, worth worth getting a, a hold of. And I can't wait to see this stuff. Uh, you know, merge in together with UI fabric and or web-based controls and, and so on. So that's great, uh, great stuff. And I actually did tell him, hey, once you ship out some stuff, we're going to want to have you come back and give us an update. So looking yeah, forward absolutely. to that. I think that wraps up for this week and uh, talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Paul. So I'm here today with Nicola. 
And uh, welcome. Thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, we start out with you introducing yourself. Who are you? Uh, what do you do at Microsoft? Uh, of course. Uh, so, well, thank you for having me, of course. Uh, my name is Nikola Matulev. I'm part of the partner app experiences teams in, uh, in, in the bigger experiences and devices organization in Microsoft. Uh, Essentially, what we do is we sense we work with partners, uh, with developers, and we make sure that partners have all the tools they need to build experiences on on Windows and Office. Uh, we started from Windows initially, but now we are under the whole Microsoft 365 umbrella. So we are onboarding also Office 365 developers, uh, SharePoint teams, uh, anything that falls under that umbrella. That's excellent. I do remember hearing about one of the latest reorgs that put the experiences and devices together. So you're the first person I've seen in that group or talked to. So excellent. And um, what, what's your history at Microsoft? Or let, let's go back even further. How did you get started in these computers? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I'm not sure if it's the most exciting answer, but I'm going to do my best. Um, well, I mean, I... Um, from when I remember, I kind of always did computers, so I don't know when I exactly started. It's it's kind of a blur because I can't even remember not ever wanting to be in computers or doing computers. So it's kind of tough. Um, I uh, I grew up in uh, in Southern California. I went to college in Southern California, and I got recruited by Microsoft as soon as I graduated, and that was about wow um, over six <laughs> years ago now. <laughs> And, and, and uh, I've been here since. And what kind of roles have you done in the past? Or has it always been so, the same? So I started uh, at a... Um at the at DPE, it was called DPE at the time, it was the Evangelism Org. Uh, I'm not sure if many people know about it, but uh, essentially it was the evangelism uh, organization in Microsoft that was basically hundreds of evangelists across the, uh, across the country, actually across the world, that their job was to work with developers, uh, evangelize the products all the way from um, uh, Windows to Office, uh, to uh, servers, to anything that that was at a time. And I started as a, a Windows 8 evangelist. I was, uh, I, I joined just as Windows 8 was being uh, released or was being built. And uh, my job was essentially to build prototypes for, for partners to kind of go uh, work with a partner for a month and build out a prototype of what their experience will look like on Windows 8. And, you know, I was a kid, I didn't really know much about uh, .NET, C Sharp, or Windows um, at a time because uh, I'd never had experience with that. So I kind of had to learn on the job and, and get good really quickly to build these experiences that we think will be look good on, on the Windows 8 platform at a time. Okay, and I think that kind of leads into, into our topic for this week, which is the what called the UWP Toolkit. So what is this? Right. So uh, it's actually called the Windows Community Toolkit now. Uh, we've changed the name uh, few, what is it, few months ago. Um, it started in about 2016. Uh, this is around the time when Windows 10 was released, about I think a year into its release. Um, we already had uh, a year to kind of work with developers to build experiences and kind of learn from the community of, of what are the things that are missing out there for developers to build good experiences on one windows uh, so a couple of members on my team uh, decided to build a, a new community-based library to enable developers to 
with controls and helpers kind of put into their applications. Uh, we basically reached out to the MVP community ahead of time and kind of pitched this idea of, of this amazing toolkit that anybody can contribute and everybody has a say in and we can put all of our code in one place and it lives in, in one repository and anybody can use it. So we kind of resonated with the community and we had a set of, of MVPs that kind of joined our team and we spent, I think, three or four months essentially just putting different controls that we've built in the past or helpers that we've built independently and we've put them into this collection of of, of these utilities that we essentially call the UTLP Community Toolkit. Uh, and we released it to the community as a Microsoft um, sponsored project, but built by the community under the .NET Foundation for anybody to use. Um, and it actually became very successful. Um, the community picked it up immediately. Uh, we got tons of, of issue, of, of new feature requests. We got tons of, of new pull request of developers wanting, hey, I built this control. Do you want this? This this seems like a great place for it. Or I built this helper. Do you want this in the toolkit? And we kind of brought all these developers to kind of combine all of our efforts into one place. And it also helped internal teams to kind of look at this as an open source project because open source at the time wasn't big in Windows and gave them a place to also start releasing um, helpers or controls that they might not really fit into the official SDK, but they do want to get them out there. And they use this as a way, as a, as a way for them to kind of ship open source code out in the open with the community. Okay. And I'm, I'm looking at the repo that you shared with me, you know, I, I will put a link out into the, the show notes for folks as well, but you said there was a handful of people who got started, but it's up to 180 contributors, which in my book right. is, a, is a success for the community. So what was that experience like? Did you have to recruit a lot of folks or did it, is it just the topic was so popular? No, I think there was initially when we started, there was a, a big need for, for something like this. So it wasn't really hard to get developers to kind of sign up and, and put their time into building something like this. Uh, people already were already releasing helpers on their own on their private GitHub repository. So they just saw this as a place where can we, everybody can find all of their all of their content, and people just signed up without us actually having to do a lot of marketing or anything um, for it. It just immediately started growing, and month over month, we started releasing more controls, more helpers. Uh, I think we started with uh, maybe four or five controls and few helpers, and we're now over hundreds of different uh, controls and, and helpers. We and I believe we just reached over a million and a half downloads on NuGet. Oh, that's great. You know, I should probably go back a step here. So what you say, you're saying controls quite often. Like what, what platform are these controls? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. So we started with the universal Windows platform. So anything that has to do with, with UWP, their controls, they were built on XAML and, and .NET for mostly C Sharp. Um, we thought hard of what platforms to support, but most of the community members uh, that were building applications for UWP at a time were on, on .NET and building on XAML. So we focused our efforts on fully on that platform and on that stack. Okay, and so I, I'm a long time server side guy, so I'm a little fuzzy into some of these. Can you give us a little a little bit? I know that recently, or maybe at the, at the last build, there was some talk about making XAML work better in Windows 10. 
line? Have I got that that right? Is is this uh, help in the area, or what? Or what's the, the well, distinction there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting topic to actually discuss. Uh, there's different versions of flavors of XAML that exist. There's the version that exists in UWP. There's the version that exists in WPF. Uh, window, uh, sorry, Xamarin uh, Forms has its own version as well. They're kind of separate XAML flavors. They kind of exist independently. Um, the efforts that we recently announced at Build was the ability to host UDLP XAML components inside of WPF or actually any Win32 application. So if you have a, a C++ application you've written years ago, now with the new XAML Islands APIs, you're able to host islands of UDLP content inside of your existing applications. So even if you don't want to completely rewrite your application, you can still take advantage of the new capabilities of the new Fluent Design UI of the new controls inside of your existing applications and slow start replacing things as you need to instead of having to uh, rewrite it and that opens up the door for the Windows Community Toolkit to for these controls to not just be used on UWP but across any Win32 application. Okay and so th that lets me accelerate my development right I can then right. have these so is this a, in similar to what a control suite that we would buy way back in the day when Win32 first started coming out is that the kind of the concept I can just drop these in and make a reference and, and off I go? Yeah, exactly. So we have we first started with things such as like a hamburger menu. Uh, a hamburger menu was uh, a highly requested control back uh, back then. Um, it didn't exist on the platform. There were some versions that were built by the community as samples, but there wasn't anything official that people could use. So we made that as a, one of our first official controls in the toolkit, uh, and it's something that developers could reference with two lines of code and have a hamburger menu into their application to follow that navigation pattern. Now, of course, uh, there's a control that exists directly in the SDK now called the navigation view, which is essentially a, uh, a hamburger menu pattern. Uh, and because we work really closely with, with the SDK team, that allowed us to um, have this hamburger menu control early, have people start using it, and once the navigation view control was available, transition those developers over to the new navigation view uh, with minimal effort. So that way, people can start using these controls early and then move on to an officially supported control later on. And I would expect that the SDK team is probably grateful to see something like this. They know what needs to be built, right? Or is that uh, what Correct, folks are looking right. for, right? Right. Yeah. We always pitch this as a way for uh, internal teams to be able to experiment with APIs, helpers, uh, and controls to see what actually picks up in the community and then put their efforts on something that they can actually see that has, has uh, people wanting to use versus just trying out something and not really getting any traction. And and so you've mentioned that there's you know controls and helpers, and I would imagine it's a suite of controls. Uh, but I want to go dig deeper into helpers. What kind of helper things would would we see in here? Um, that's a great question. We have uh, a several set of categories that we put in the toolkit. Um, best way actually to discover what's in the toolkit, we have a sample app that if you're running on Windows 10, you can go to the Windows Store, uh, Microsoft Store, excuse me, and uh, search for Windows Community Toolkit sample app and has a, a collection of samples that you can see what controls we have, helpers, uh, et cetera. And you can actually try them out directly in the app, change some properties, and just copy the code directly into applications. Um, 
the specific categories that are most popular right now, we have, um, for example, we have animation helpers. So we have a Fluent API to easily enable animations into your applications. With basically one line of code, you can have a rich animation that can, they can move an item, uh, scale it down, blur it, apply some effects to it uh, without actually having to do much work. And that was really, really hard to do in the past. Uh, behind the scenes, we use uh, composition APIs, which as developers might know, they're not the, straight, not the most straightforward APIs. So we abstract that logic away for them. Uh, we also have things like services. So if you want to talk to Twitter or Facebook or um, or the Microsoft Graph or OneDrive, we've built easy to use services with basically with two lines of code to log into a service and start calling APIs to kind of get the tweets or, or get files immediately without having to go through a bunch of hoops just to get that going into your application. So it, it enables things like just really quick prototyping with a lot of these APIs that allow you to kind of get results immediately. And the... I, I like hearing all that. Of course, I'm, I'm a, being a, an office guy myself, so calling into Microsoft Graph is certainly interesting. And then, so I'm guessing though that this is a, a, a generic type service. Right? These services aren't going to be doing something specific, right? Or am I am I going to have to still tweak it around to get to the exact data I need, right? Or is this really a, a replacement, if you will, for the SDKs that are by those services themselves? Uh, well, yes, yes. Um, initially, we actually started using the official SDKs to build layers on top of them that are similar across all services. So for example, if I already know how to use the, the Twitter service that we provide, you will already know how to use the Facebook service because we follow the same API patterns. But under the covers, we actually use the official SDKs to enable developers uh, to to enable developers to call into the actual SDK if they need to and get in richer data than what we actually provide. But we do offer common practices and common uh, APIs that, to get the most common data that we know developers need. But they're always available to get more if they need to. Right. So if someone like myself who's who's coming from a, a web front end, a web background or or something not Windows, that with these this toolkit, I'm guessing from what you're saying, it, it would be worthwhile to look at these code patterns that you're doing and 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 understand what I can do or, or kind of get to speed. More like a, a teaching opportunity. Do you see that or is it really kind of dense and not intended to be looked at just to grab it and go? No, absolutely. Um, we encourage developers to kind of look at the patterns that we write and actually even help us out if they see that uh, that we follow up, that we use a pattern that they might see a better way to do things. We encourage them to kind of help us out and improve that. Or if they uh, want to kind of follow the patterns that we use, we want them to kind of use the same patterns as well. So everything we do is done in, in the open with the help of the community. And every decision that we make, we, we try to make sure that it's validated by the community community before we actually implement it. That's all great stuff. I, I love being able to just have some code that I know works and can dig into it and see it. So uh, I've been actually uh, struggling the last week trying to get some uh, some of the authentication bits working based on .NET five or .NET Core, and and it's you don't get having so many samples to look at. Just say, well, in this sample they did X, and in this sample they did Y. What which one works for me? I think this is a great help. So that that's certainly wonderful stuff. Uh, I'm wondering if there's anything in particular in the 
the in the toolkit that you think is really really slick or really nice or something that can be really helpful and and save a developer a lot of time is there anything that i don't know if it's a favorite but something that you find has been always been really helpful well you know it's it's like asking a, a father what their favorite uh, child is but um the most recent feature that uh, i already kind of mentioned but it's something that most developers kind of mostly using today and they're more excited for is the new xaml island apis that just became available in windows 10 uh, and we built uh, with the help of the actual platform team we built a set of controls that developers can just plop in into their wpf and WinForms applications so if you are itching to get to, to start using inking for example in your WinForms applications we have an ink canvas control for wpf that uses the new xaml island apis that automatic that gives you this inking experiences immediately into WPF applications. Or we also have things like map controls, uh, media player, et cetera, that just brings in this existing controls that exist on UWP and plops them into your WPF or WinForms uh, experiences without you having to know how to use the XAML APIs, how to uh, work with uh, you know, windowing or all the Win32 APIs that are out there. Uh, we also added a control called um, Windows XAML host, which actually allows you to add any UWP control into your application with like two lines of code. You don't have to actually do any of the uh, XAML Island interop to get that working. So, so you mentioned inking, which would be relatively new, right? So if I have a, a long-standing Win32 application and Windows 10 brings this capability, are there other Windows 10 things uh, that you help out with? Uh, maybe timeline or, or or the new Fluent UI? I, I suppose that's probably a whole different topic, but <clears throat> I guess what I'm getting at is, is this, uh, can I use this to help bring my app into the remote? So it looks like it's more recent version of Windows. Absolutely. Yes. Um, a lot of the efforts that Windows currently is doing on on design, specifically on the Fluent design, they're doing it on UWP. So one of the only ways to actually get that goodness into your existing application is to use UWP controls and UWP resources inside your application. So XAML Islands is, is pretty much the way to modernize any existing applications with all the new goodness. So instead of the, the platform team spending efforts to bring up WPF on Fluent or bring up WinForms on Fluent, they're spending their efforts on UWP and then bringing that back to WPF and WinForms or any Win32 application. And therefore, when uh, my application then is using these islands as, as something gets updated in the Fluent UI or a new version of Windows, I get that goodness automatically is, is the goal, I guess, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah. So if you want to start taking advantage of, of Reveal, which is the ability for when the mouse kind of hovers over a button, a lightning thing shows up. Or if you want to get the new acrylic uh, backgrounds, which are the, the blurred backgrounds, you can easily get that going uh, into, applica into applications with the new APIs. And as those things get improved and added on, your application will automatically start getting those updates. So that leads me to ask uh, if there is something that you can talk about that that's coming, right? What what kind of what kind of um, experiences can you expect to see coming forward in in the toolkit that uh, might be you know helpful for some developers who are busy solving business problems and, and would love to come along for the ride? 
Well, that, that's a great question. We are we continuously keep adding more and more controls and helpers to the toolkit. I know currently there's uh, two new controls that are being added to the toolkit that will be available in the next release. One of them is a, is a control that allows really easy cropping of images. So if you have an image, you want to provide the experience of having this rectangle and you want to specify what area you want to crop and automatically crops it for you, we will have a, a control that automatically does that for you. Uh, things such as being able to do uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Project Chrome, but it's this ability for multiple devices to talk to each other and transfer experiences from one device to the other device. So if I'm using a uh, application on my iPhone, for example, I can, with a tap of a button, I can transfer the experience on my desktop machine or my laptop machine. And we're providing a control that automatically allows you to kind of search for devices that are around your, your device you're using in proximity and pass in that information directly to that device and just makes that much, much easier to use. That's very, yes, I've heard of Project Rome. I've actually done quite a bit of work around adaptive cards. Again, letting someone else do all that rendering work for me so I can see the being uh, some overlap there would be great and helpful stuff. So right. I look forward to that. What is your release schedule? Are you tied to more like the Windows release schedule or just whenever people think it's ready or is it really just a community so it's whenever someone has time? It usually is guided by the community. We try to do a, a major release, uh, a point one release every few months. So maybe two to three months we'll do a release. It just depends on on what the community is is putting into the toolkit and what they're contributing. All the controls I mentioned, the, one, the controls coming are coming from the community. So we're... we're um, Kind of following their schedule however we are guided by the windows release schedule uh, for each sdk release uh, because with every sdk update which is about six months i believe uh, there's new feature that come into the platform and we always have ideas of how to take these new features and build new experiences so we do uh, a major release usually a few weeks after each sdk release to add some new goodness to take advantage of that those new windows features and if someone wants to get involved or, or get like, is there a, a discussion area or is it just the GitHub issues list or where do I, where do people go to chat with folks about how to, how to solve problems that they're running into? Right. So uh, the Git, the GitHub repository is one of the best place to kind of get involved. We have a list of, of issues. We have a label for issues that my people want to pick up. Uh, they're labeled with help wanted. So if someone can search through help wanted, you can see all the issues we have that anybody can pick up and start a discussion there. Uh, myself and my team are all available on Twitter for, for discussion. And we're going to usually use those two areas to kind of have the conversation going. Well, so that, that begs the question, uh, how do folks get a, a hold of you? So what is the Twitter handle? So, yeah, so my Twitter handle is just my last name. So at M-E-T-U-L-E-V. And it's kind of straightforward as long as you know my last name. Uh, but you can search for my name and I'm the only one with my name and it pops up on Twitter. That's great. And is there anything else that you'd like to get uh, get out to, to folks about the toolkit or about the, the experiences and devices group work that you're doing? Uh, yes. So as we continue to see adding more stuff to the toolkit, we're also thinking um, what more we can add. Uh, and then now that we're also working not just on Windows, but also on Microsoft 365 in general, we're thinking on how we can improve the experiences, not just for Windows, but for other devices that might be using, for example, the Microsoft Graph. So we're always looking for ideas and experiences that developers are looking to make it easier for them to build experiences on on whatever device they're, they're using that uses the Microsoft Graph. So if anybody is also interested in, in helping with that, 
we might have some news coming in the next few months on on, on some of those things. The, you know, the when you mentioned that, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about controls and stuff in Office 365 is the Office UI Fabric. Is there any relationship between what you're doing and, and the, the UI Fabric team? Yeah, I mean, we're still in the early investigation and we're working across the across different teams within Microsoft. We're in contact with the Fabric team and I imagine we would be using uh, Fabric to build any experiences because they are sort of the design, de facto design language for uh, Office experiences, for Microsoft 365 experiences. So, okay, so there you go, excellent. Well, that's great. Uh, thanks for your time, really appreciate it. We'll certainly get a, a link to the toolkit and a link to the your uh, sample application out in the show notes and uh, appreciate your time, thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 